Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Second Samuel, the fifth chapter, verse 12. I, I purchased a book. I got it in on Sunday night late after I got back from service. And thank God for Amazon that delivers seven days a week. I was so excited to get this book. I opened it up. I read the preface. I read the introduction. I haven't made it past the introduction since then. It's kind of been a weird week preparing doing a lot of things I didn't I'd rather be reading that book I uh, I really don't think I need to read the book I don't know what the book's about I can't recommend it but it references one verse in that book and it gave a little blob a blurb a, a little taste of what maybe the book was going to be about and this is where my heart landed Pastor Carson preached a very similar message this morning I thought well that's interesting how that works so tonight I'm going to do my best to preach this, and here's my opening statement, my opening verse. Second of Samuel, chapter 5, verse 12. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel. I want to preach, this is the title of my message. I, I wrestled with whether I should take it from the text, which I usually like to do. But I felt so drawn to this, a tell or a story of two Bibles, and that's my title. Story of two Bibles. If we could, before we're seated, can we just ask God to open our heart? I believe the Spirit of the Lord is here, there's no question, but... I do believe this, that unless we specifically ask God to speak to us, that sometimes we will miss what God is trying to say. Because more importantly than just words coming out of my mouth, it's God's spirit that would minister to the heart of the hearer. And so I'm asking every person in this building, would you, for the next few moments, if you'd like to lift your hands, but at least close your eyes and let's pray out loud. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that we felt. God, we've worshiped you. We lifted you up. Our praise was very evident in this place tonight and we know that you inhabit the praises of your people and God I felt your presence move in our midst and I believe that faith is being built and I believe that you are touching the hearts that need to be ministered to I pray God that you would challenge us and speak to us through your word I pray God that your anointing would be upon this vessel and you would allow your will to be done I pray oh God that we would be obedient to what you would have us to do Lord, we give you glory and honor. We give you praise. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I received this Bible many years ago. It was given to me right after I had moved to Indianapolis. It must have been 10 years, I think. The giver of the Bible was not the owner of it, but it was passed to his son who brought it to me. 
he didn't really know how to respond, but all that he knew was the instructions that his dad had said, give this and tell as you give that I don't need it anymore. The Bible was placed in my hands and with a heavy heart I received it wanting to give it back to this young man so that he could in turn give it to his father. I knew the story though. I took that Bible and in that Bible was stuffed sermon notes and an envelope. I couldn't even bring myself to read the letter that was written to me in that envelope. I felt that it would be too painful. I wrestled with how I should respond if a text or an email or possibly a phone call to the individual that held this Bible in their hand that walked to some of the same pulpits that I walked to. Alas, I, I had no words to say. In a quiet moment in my living room by myself, I opened this Bible and pulled out the letter. The letter stated that there were sermons that had been preached. Sermons that were preached to a youth group. Sermons that he had developed over prayer and fasting and what he felt was his sensitivity to the Holy Ghost. He stated that there were other sermons in there that he hadn't quite gotten to, but those sermons were something that God had laid on his heart. And he asked me, he asked me if I would take this Bible and these sermons and maybe one day share them. Maybe complete some of them that were incomplete. Or possibly just give a warning to every young person that I would come in contact to, to not go down the same path that he walked down. You see, this Bible belonged to a youth pastor, a licensed minister, a young man that didn't just have great potential, but he had stepped into his potential because he had served in roles that some of you IBC students and CCS and Calvary students would aspire to. He'd accepted the call of God on his life and told God that wherever you send me, I will go. And this was his first study Bible that had been purchased for him and given to him by a mentor in his life. He took that Bible and there were many things that were underlined. I searched through and I was looking for specific doctrinal scriptures that I thought, well, maybe he didn't get, maybe he did not read, but no, he had read them because they were highlighted and there were even notes in the margins that he had written. He knew who one God was and he knew the name of the God that we serve. He understood what separation was and holiness was. He had a grasp on the doctrine. He knew that baptism in Jesus' name, repentance of sins, the influence of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues. He could quote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord, Deuteronomy 6, 4. He understood the Scripture and he searched them out. But you see, I believe this. I believe that his reality was askewed. Because the entire time that he was pursuing what he felt God had laid upon his heart, something was pulling him the opposite direction. You see, it was not something in his present, but it was something in his past. Because I remember many times the conversation would always come up. The same conversation would always come up. It didn't matter what we were doing. If we were out on the railroad tracks looking for 
cottontail rabbits or sitting in a deer stand or playing basketball. It, it didn't matter where we were on a golf course. It didn't matter what we had currently been talking about. The conversation always came back to the one topic that was forever there imprinted upon his mind in his heart. You see, that topic was his past and what he had done, the failures and mistakes that he had made. Ladies and gentlemen, he could not move beyond he could not move beyond those things that he had done, his identity and who he was. It didn't matter to him what God was doing currently in his life. It didn't matter where he had been at an altar of repenting and what night that he had poured himself out. There was something that kept pulling him back and he could not fight the battle of overcoming what he was. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that this young man needed a perception change in his life. He needed to let go of those things that he used to do and he had to step into a new identity but his downfall his downfall was that very thing and the letter stated that he said it didn't matter what God did in my life what hung over me like a cloud was who I was as I begin to think about this message something began to stir my heart because I feel that there are IBC students that have walked into this building tonight. That some of you have accepted a call of God on your life. That's why you're here. Some of you have been seeking for a call of God. Knowing what specifically God has asked you to do. But there's one thing that keeps bothering you. And that is what you did. And what you used to be. But I'm here to say this. You've got to get over your past. No, no, not discredit it, not walk away and forget about it. Because that's something that you cannot, it's called a testimony. But you can't live your life being bound what you used to be. There comes a moment where you've got to transition. In other words, you've got to change your perception of who you are. Those of you that were bound by alcoholism, you've got to stop going back to alcohol. Those of you that were bound by drugs, you've got to stop going back to drugs. Oh, I know what AA says, once an alcoholic, always an an alcoholic but there comes a time in your life where you realize that something has changed there's been a perception change in my life because when I used to get stressed out and reach for the bottle I now reach for him when I used to get overwhelmed and I reach for the pills I now reach for him there needs to be somebody in this place that allows God to change perception perception so I carry this Bible to the pulpit with me every few years, reminded that I too can get bound by my past. You see, it doesn't always mean your past is something dark and forbidding. Maybe it's your past that you look at of, of insecurities, maybe a past of, uh, of, of where you, you were born in truth but didn't really get into the church maybe all the way. You see, everyone carries something into church every night. Maybe your past is as recent as this afternoon or yesterday. We all bring things into service, but there comes a moment in the church service where we begin to lay aside those weights that so easily beset us. You know what this place is? This is a house of worship and praise because we 
serve a God that is incredible. We serve a God that is able. And we serve a God that can forgive and will forgive. You see, there's a moment that we step into the presence of God where we can begin to realize that God has lifted off the weight of sin. That I'm not who I used to be, but I am now a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Is there somebody here that when you walked in, you felt the weight and the shame of sin, but in this worship service, something began to transition and your perspective began to change and you realize that God is still God. Perception is sometimes reality, at least that's what we've always said. And though you can't change reality, I, I think that you can change your perception of reality. If we don't have a spiritual perception change, then I'm afraid of what this generation will not accomplish. Some people are stimulated by their perception of their environment. Some people are stimulated by the perception of who they are in life, their status. Some people are, are inundated with the perception of how they come across to other people. They admire who they are. Let me just say this. We've got to be careful about our perception of where we're at. And we've got to be willing to allow God to change our perception. Perception really matters. Brother Fridley, you know what? I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid that if we don't have a spiritual perception change, that there'll be missionaries that are called that will never make it to a mission field. I believe if we don't have a perception change, that there are whole missionaries that are called that will never make it in a whole missionary setting. Because let me say this, we live in this beautiful, beautiful place called Indianapolis and we're in the Bible Belt still and there's a lot of churches on every street corner and when we walk into Calvary Tabernacle, we've got an incredible platform and nice screens and everything is really good. But you know what? There are some people that are meeting and they're meeting in places that are not idea. There's churches that are taking place in people's living rooms and there's churches like the church that we pastor that are taking place in buildings that are kind of falling down around you. So your perception of where you're at shouldn't matter how God moves in your life. You've got to move beyond the perception or the reality of your perception and you've got to get into a place where you realize I don't need lights and, and I don't need musicians and, and I don't even need a good singer to move me into the presence of God. I don't need a great conference preacher to get me in the presence of God. But all I need is Him and all I need is to know how to worship Him. You see the greatest missionaries and the greatest ministers are those that had a spiritual perception change it was an honor this summer to be able to go back to Alaska it's been a few years since I've been there we were able to take chosen uh, a music group out of Indiana Bible College are any of them here just let me know you're in the building they all skipped church tonight <laughs> brother Anderson did you get that I know they, they're here where are they at Oh, they just raised their hands. Oh, stand up. Come on, just stand up. Y'all don't be shy. Y'all have never been shy in your life. We got, oh, there they are. Oh, y'all showed up late. That's what, I see, I see, I see. We tried to prepare them for what Alaska was going to look like, and I'm not speaking begrudgingly about Alaska. I love that place. It is so dear to my heart. But I wanted them to realize that they were not walking into Maryland camp meeting or Michigan or Indiana camp meeting. 
I want them to realize that when they get to Alaska that they may not have everything that we enjoy every summer at youth camp. Uh, their churches may not have the type of sound system that all the churches in North America are now purchasing. And there may be things that they don't possess. But let me tell you, the Spirit of God still moves regardless of what you have. Let me tell you something. When we first went to Eagle River, we had one lady on a piano that God bless her heart. She played to the best of her ability. And there was no way that I was going to set her down and have my wife take her place because that was her ministry. And I remember being in that service and there's only a handful of people behind me and I'm the only one with my hands lifted and saying, oh Lord, you've got to move today because if you don't move, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. And the Lord would show up time and time again. I've been in church services where, you know what the playlist was? It was a YouTube channel, a playlist on their channel that they began to put together. And I remember sitting in this church and they were playing that YouTube channel. And when it first started, I thought, how am I going to worship? But God began to change my perception and God began to speak to me and minister to me. And as I lifted my hands and began to sing along with some choir that I don't even know who they were, the spirit of the Lord moved into that place and people were ministered to by the Holy Ghost. Oh, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, if the devil has you bound in your past, if you can't worship God because of the situation that you're in, if stress has got over you overwhelmed and and to fear has got you crippled. Let me just say this. God can change your perception and you need to let God change it because you can still lift up the name of Jesus and it doesn't matter what's going on in your life because he's still a healer and he's still a savior and he's still a deliverer and he's still a way maker. I'm thankful for what we have, but if we don't have it, it's not going to change the way I worship God. If we don't possess it, it's not going to change how I feel about God. If he never performs a miracle, it doesn't mean that he's not a miracle worker. If he never feels somebody with the Holy Ghost, it doesn't mean that he can't. Because sometimes it's just our perception that has to change. I walked into a church, it was a small church, and I never preached here before, knew no one in that place. God had been dealing with me that week and saying, uh, preach just a basic message of salvation. And so I was going to preach repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and for the Holy Ghost. When I got to that church, it was a small church. There wasn't but a handful of people. And, and when I stepped in that church, I thought, oh, I think I missed it. Because I was looking around and everybody looked really Pentecostal. <laughs> Service started and everybody was Pentecostal. Everybody worshiped, everybody prayed for everybody. God moved in the service. And I thought, Lord, I, I've missed it. I was going to change my sermon. You know how that is if I'm flipping through, see if I left an old note in there somewhere, written something down in the margin. I'm like, I got to get something quick. Brother Fairley, I started cycling through. Brother Kilman, you know how this is. You're cycling through. Okay, what, what have I preached that I know? Because this ain't going to work. Because everybody in this place has the Holy Ghost, apparently. Everybody looks like they're... God just kept laying it back on my heart. Just preached the sermon that I gave you. I've never been so fearful, Pastor Carson, my whole life when I stood behind that pulpit. And I opened it up to Acts 2.38. And I thought, well, here we go. And it, it, it just, as I expected, it went. I preached until there was sweat dripping off the end of my nose. And I preached with everything that was in me. And people just stared at me like, what are you doing? 
I preached and I gave my altar call. And before I could even start to give my altar call, nobody moved, but one man just stood up and lifted his hands about like this. He was 78 years of age. And his little precious wife was next to him and she wrapped her arm around his waist. And all of a sudden, the pastor jumps off the platform and runs back to him. And as this man is standing there with his hands lifted up, not all the way up, just lifted up like this, he was speaking in tongues. Well, that didn't mean a lot to me. Until the pastor came back and he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, 28 years that man has sought the Holy Ghost and he has not received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And tonight, God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Ladies and gentlemen, there comes a moment where we have to get to that place where we let God change our perception. We've got to get to that place where we're hungry for a move of God. I'm here to tell someone God can speak to your life. God can fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost right now. You don't have to wait for an altar call. You don't have to wait for the musicians to come back. God can do. But we've got to be willing to let God change our perception of what God can do. I begin to do some research on David, and, and, and I love to preach on David. Every preacher loves to preach on David. As a matter of fact, if you've got nothing to preach, you can preach on David because it's easy to preach on David. Because David killed Goliath. I mean, that right there will preach a hundred different ways. You can, you can get in there and talk about how big Goliath was and how amazing that David was with just taking out on that battlefield uh, uh, five smooth stones that he reached down and pulled those out of the water. You could talk about his sling and, and oh, you could get real descriptive with it. You can say he, he stuck his hands in that cold, clear water and pulled out five of those stones and placed those stones in that leather shepherd's bag and the water driplets begin to soak through. And as he foot stepped out on the battlefield, dust began to rise and cake itself around the water that was seeping through that leather bag. And as he reached his hand in that gritty bag and pulled out that stone, maybe he wiped it off on his simple homespun tunic that his mama made a few years before. And he placed it inside that sling and began to twirl it around. And as that giant looked at him and said, you send this dog to fight me, he looked at that giant and said, you come at me with a sword and a shield, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. Oh, come on, that'll preach, ladies and gentlemen. That, that's a message that you know you can go to. And David killed Goliath with one smooth stone. Now that'll preach, but let me tell you, that was because David was anointed. That's how he was able to kill a giant. David wasn't a great marksman, not enough to kill a giant, but God began to place that stone exactly where he needed. God had anointed that young man a few years before when no one thought that he was worthy to be anointed. But God said, I need a lad. I need a man after my own heart. And God chose David. David was called up out of the shepherd's field. All his brothers were looked past. And you know why? It's because God looked at Saul and said, I can't stand someone that has rejected He's rejected me. He's turned his heart away from me. And God said, I want someone that has a heart of a king. And God saw David. David was chosen because of the heart, his pure heart, his willing heart, his passion to do the will of God. And David killed Goliath because God had chosen him and anointed him. What a message that is. David's one of my heroes. He cuts Goliath's head off with Goliath's own sword. Picks up, head up and shows the Philistines 
You begin to research in scripture, he, after the battle's over, everyone's patting him on the back. David's taking that head home with him. He left everything else there, but he took the head. He's got to be a 14-year-old boy. Because there's nobody in their right mind that'd go carrying a Goliath's head around with him. But David takes that head and he goes all the way to Jerusalem where the Jebusites are. Because the Jebusites had come in when Saul was, you know, doing his thing where he couldn't figure out the will of God and what God wanted. And he was wanting to do his own little deal. And that's where he turned his heart away from God. And the Jebusites came in and they had conquered that city and they had put a stronghold. And Saul was supposed to eradicate the enemies that were around the borders of Israel. But more importantly, he was supposed to kick out the Jebusites because that city had been prophesied over a long time ago. That was a city of peace. That's where God wanted to establish that kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And you know what David did? He walks over to a hill just outside of Jerusalem and places that head, that head of a giant on that hill and leaves it there. Some theologians believe it's called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Now we're not going to debate that with Brother Kilman because he'll probably shoot that full of holes. But let me tell you, I don't know why. I don't know why he put that out there on the hill of Jerusalem, whether to say to the Jebusites that I'm coming because I've already been anointed and I'm going to take back this city or to tell those people that were in the countryside that look at little old me just killed the biggest man in all of the Philistines. And if I can do it, you can do it. But David decided that he was going to place that head out there and it was going to be a statement to all those that viewed it that I'm a giant killer and you probably could be too that's David's life he was anointed he was a musician he was such a musician that as Saul's plagued by an evil spirit sent from God that he says I need someone that can bring the anointing let me, let me just say to you musicians you aspiring musicians I hope you can play well. I'm not a musician. I'm not a singer. I know that's a shock because, you know, you may have heard me in the microphone once or twice. And, and I always get students at IBC when I close the service out, they'll say, Brother Guy, I heard you sing in the microphone. I said, yeah. And they said, that wasn't too bad. They, they still didn't get an A on that paper. But it was a good try. But let me just say this to all you aspiring musicians. I hope you can play well. And Brother Anderson really hopes that you can learn to play well. And as a matter of fact, you should play well. But if you can play the best that anyone's ever heard, but you have no anointing, I don't think it really matters. Because there's musicians all over that can play really well. But when you get someone that's anointed by God, there's a difference. When you get a singer that's anointed by God, there's a difference. Because it changes the atmosphere of wherever place that you're in. I've been outside and had concerts happen and, and everything seemed to be going well until that singer stood up and the anointing began to fall and you could feel the goosebumps just stand up on the back of your neck. Oh, I love to hear anointed musicians and singers because you know what that does? It pulls me into a place that I long to be the presence of the Lord. So you want to know what we more, need more than proficiency? Though I would like to have proficiency, I want anointing. I want IBC students that when they try 
travel out to these churches around the area and begin to sing and play and preach. I don't want them to have the most amazing sermon that is so structured and so correct, but I want them to make sure they preach under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I want those musicians, when they begin to tinkle those ivories and begin to play on those strings, that something begins to stir the soul of every sinner. And David was that type of musician. Not only could he kill a giant, but David was anointed by God to soothe the spirit of Saul. Maybe, maybe that should be a lesson to us. Because how many times do we feel the presence of the Lord in our car when a song comes on? But maybe we don't always feel that peace in our home. It's because there's a spirit that was afflicting. You see, Saul, though that's another message, but Saul never got to a place where he found repentance at an altar and he could deliver himself from the spirit that was sent by God. So David was a talented musician. David was so incredible that people begin to sing songs about him. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. You see, that led them to this very difficult. Saul was looking at David with jealousy in his heart because what Saul had possessed he no longer possessed. And he watched the anointing settle upon that young man, that anointing that he had at one time. I don't know, jealousy was brought on by God, but jealousy was a part of what God was allowing to take place in Saul's heart. Be careful who you're jealous of because of their talents and their abilities. Be careful, be careful, be careful who you target because Saul became out of control and tried to kill David. But even though he gets him out of his court and says, I'm firing you as a musician, I still need your anointing in this kingdom. And he places David as commander over his armies. And David is a successful warrior. David is such a successful warrior and Saul is amazed by his ability. He goes in and conquers any foe that stands before him and he's being promoted. And Saul, even though he's jealous of him, he, he brings David in and says, David, I, I want to give you my daughter to marry. So David marries the king's daughter. Saul's own son, Jonathan, is, is so impressed by David that he pledges a friendship with him for the rest of their lives. The story goes on. David has then turned his heart because Saul will not stop trying to kill him. So what does David do? He leaves Israel and begins to flee. He goes to Nam, receives the sword of Goliath from the high priest. He's fleeing because Saul is pursuing him like an animal. Samuel the prophet dies. David feels as an outcast. Every encounter that David has with the enemy of Israel, he overcomes. His army is not a professionally trained army, but his army is just a, a band of ragtag men that are outcasts from their own society. Thieves and murderers and desperados and whatever the other name you want to place upon them. They begin to collect themselves to David and David takes 
this group of misfit and begins to train them and teach them. He turns their life around because now they're not just the dregs of society, but these men become trained warriors that follow David's command. They're disciplined. These men are feared by all because whatever army comes against them, it doesn't matter how great that army is. This small group of men under David's command, they rise up and they conquer the enemy time and time again. The Amalekites are destroyed. Not by Saul and Israel, but by David and his army. An entire nation wiped out because God uses this young man in a ragtag group of followers. Finally, in a battle, Saul is overcome. He falls upon his own sword. David is taken. He's anointed king of Judah with the help of his allies. And he makes Hebron his capital of his new administration. They placed a crown upon his head, a royal robe around his shoulders. But the nation is still divided. And for seven and a half years, the house of Saul wages war against David and his men. There's a whole story about Abner, which is a phenomenal tale that I won't go into. David's kingdom is strengthened by Abner. Over 800,000 people fall under his alliance through Abner. Finally, after all of David's accomplishments, after everything that David did, David finally reigns over all of Israel and Judah. It begins in this chapter of 2 Samuel, the fifth chapter, verse 12. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel. The question that I keep coming to is when did God perceive that David was the king over Israel? You see, God perceived him to be king over Israel 32 years before this moment. But it took David 32 years, 32 years of fighting battles, 32 years of walking into the presence of the Lord and feeling the anointing of God, 32 years of getting to a place where he watched God pour out his presence upon him and his men so that they could overcome the enemy that stood before him, 32 years that he saw God's hand of protection, 32 years that David felt the presence and the anointing, 32 years before David said, guess what, I'm king. Here's my message. I'm just now to it. I tell of two Bibles. There's only one Bible that I placed up here besides the one I'm reading from. The other Bible's not here. It's not here because it's in a pulpit right now and it's being read from. And that Bible belongs to Chet. Chet grew up in a very similar circumstances that David did. As a matter of fact, Chet's home was an abusive home. And Chet's older brother was beaten so bad he has brain damage to this day. Chet ran away from home when he was 14 and lived in a patch of woods next to the beach. Chet became a surfer out of necessity. He poured his life into this, was sponsored by several major companies. 
Chet said, I remember one night I was tripping out on LSD and he said, I came to and I was standing in a tidal pool. He said, I had my hands lifted up and I was screaming to the top of my lungs, you are holy, you are holy. And he said, I put my hands down. And I thought, what, what am I saying? Who's holy? Chet said, a few months later, I'm walking down the sidewalk after a competition, carrying my surfboard and two of my surfer buddies are with me. And one of them turned and said, Chet, you're gonna be a preacher one day. And Chet said, I threw my board down and said, what are you talking about? But see, there was something in the back of Chet's mind that was pulling him. Because Chet, a few months before, had asked God, are you really real? And even though Chet was trying to drown his pain and his sorrow and everything that he could find, God was still reaching through that drug-induced stupor. And God was dealing with Chet. Because what Chet didn't realize, but it began to come to his memory years later, is when he was three or four years old, his mama took him to a Pentecostal church for a revival. And in that revival, there was a man that stood on the stage and he began to do magic tricks. And Chet said, the only thing I can remember, he said, it would haunt me every time I would begin to trip on LSD. He said, I would see this cartoon figure with big old curly hair. And he said, this cartoon figure would reach out and he'd grab my hand and said, hey, preacher man, he said, hey, preacher man, guess what happens when I, when I lift my hand to Jesus? He said, this magician, he said, had a light bulb in his mouth. And he said, what he didn't know at three years of age as I looked and saw he would flick a switch with his tongue. He said, and when he would lift his hands, that light bulb would come on. And when he put his hands down, that light bulb would go off. He said, but my, my dreams that I had was distorted by the chemical that was in my system. He said, and all I saw is when that cartoon figure would lift his hands, there was light shining out of, guess what, God was dealing with Chet Rathman. Chet Rathman came. He walked into a Pentecostal church because someone invited him and he felt the presence of God sitting in the back. But because he's such an introvert, he got scared and ran out of that church and said, I'll never come back to that church. But the next service, Chet found himself walking back in that Pentecostal church. And as he walked around the back, he noticed that there was a door directly behind the platform that had the AC unit. And he opened that door and stepped in. And he said, and I can hear everything that was taking place on the platform and this introverted backward drug addict begin to set every service in that room that room mechanical room with the air conditioner running and he would listen to the preaching and God began to pour out his spirit upon Chet and one time when he was back there he lifted his hands during the altar call and nobody knowing that he was in there he began to speak in other tongues as God gave the utterance But when Chet Farley admitted to his pastor that he'd received the gift of the Holy Ghost, they baptized him in Jesus' name. But Chet's story is different from David because he never went back to what he used to be. You see what happened was his perception began to change that he realized I've been born again, that I'm not who I am. I'm not a lineage that says that I'll be an alcoholic. I don't have a lineage that says I'm a drug addict, but my lineage leads me to the cross. Chet began to turn his life around. He's pastoring in Florida right now and God is doing a great work. I don't have his Bible because he's there preaching the word of God. I'm here to tell somebody, whether it be an IBC student or a Calvary member or a visitor, change your perception when you come to Jesus.
You've got to stop allowing the enemy to lie to you. You've got to break free from that lie. You've got to let him show you that you're a child of the king. God show you. You've got to let God show you that you're more than what society tells you you are. You've got to change your perception when you worship. You're worthy to receive the spirit of God. You're able to be forgiven of your sins. You've got to break free from the chains that bind you. You see, the perception change, I believe, is the greatest change that can happen. Because we know that when God fills us with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and we've been baptized like these wonderful people were baptized tonight in Jesus' name. When we repented of our sins and asked God to forgive us, we know that God can deliver us and set us free and bring us into a new life. But there's so many times that we expect God to change the circumstances of our reality. And sometimes that does not happen. But what God can do is change our perception of our reality. So that means I can walk back into a home that has no peace and feel peace. That means that I can walk back into a job that nobody likes me and feel that this is the place where God has put me. That means that I can go back to my neighborhood and though there may be chaos all around, I can feel the presence of the Lord every time I call upon his name. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a perception change. We need a perception change. We've got to get to a place where we stop allowing the enemy to bring us down and we need to lift ourselves up and let God do the greatest work that he's ever done because our perception, it matters. And when we walk into this service, it's not a time to walk in and beg God to forgive us after he's already filled us with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We need to walk in here saying, I'm a child of the King. I belong at Calvary. This is my home. This is my church. Devil, you've had me too long. I'm breaking free of what you had and I'm allowing God to bring me into liberty. Now I, I know, I know. I know that AA says, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I sponsored an individual. It was in Alaska. I went to the AA meeting. A gentleman stood up and received his 25-year medallion. It was shocking. I don't remember who I shared this with recently. Hit a scar in his face. It went through his entire forehead and down into his cheek. He told us what that scar was about, but it was later. 25 years he'd been sober. Got his little gold medallion, he's getting up and he began to share his life. This is how his story went. He lived in a village. His parents left and they went to the big city and they never returned. And so he was homeless three or four years of age. He said, a family brought me in. This family brought me in and he said they had a lot of other teenage boys that they had brought in to give them a place to stay. He said, in the four years of age, that's when the abuse started. He said, every night. He found the container in the refrigerator. And he said, at four years of age, I took my first sip. He said, and I realized if I drank enough, I would pass out and not remember what would happen every night of my life. And he said, at four years of age, I became an alcoholic. That's what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, that shocked me to my core. I couldn't identify with that. I sat there and my mind was trying to wrap around because his story just kept getting worse and worse. The journey that this man went on. When he was a teenager, twice this happened. He placed a rifle in his mouth and pulled the trigger. And twice he had to have his 
his face put back together, plastic surgery. His life led him down hardcore drugs and alcohol. And his story just was one that I just could not even imagine anyone living through. And at the end of that little session that he talked, he got up and, and they dismissed us. And I walked over where a friend of mine was there. I was his sponsor and we began to talk. And I said, hey, what did you, what did you all think about, about that guy that was talking? And they said, man, that's incredible. I said, what, what did you think about him being an alcoholic at four? And this young lady that was sitting there said, well, I was six when I started drinking. And she said, you know, my story is kind of like his. And, and another guy said, well, I think I was eight or nine when I started, he said, I didn't go into the foster program until then because of, of my home life. And the stories begin to come out and something begin to be ripped out of my heart. Let me tell you this. I know that there are people that come from situations like that. But let me tell you, you may go back into those situations every time that you return home. But your reality can be changed because God can be your Savior and your Redeemer. Oh, let me tell you. I've watched how a man that was bound 27 years by alcohol and drugs, that he felt that he was damaged goods and every night that he would shoot up, snort up and drink up because he didn't want to remember those things of his past. But I watched him come to an altar one night and pour himself out and God forgive him. I watched him be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and God turned his life around. The story that he told me, how God set him free and delivered him, it came from this idea that I knew that I was still damaged good, but God changed my perception because I realized what I broke apart and what the enemy had tried to destroy, God can put back together and make whole. I'm preaching to somebody here tonight. IBC, you may not think that you are called by God. You may not think that you're qualified to minister to those around you, but you've got to change your perception. Calvary, you've got to change your perception You've got to stop allowing the enemy to pull you down and to rise up and say, God can use me. God can use me. Perception. Because did Paul and Silas change their circumstances? No, not until they changed their perception. The three Hebrew children, did their circumstances change when they believed? No. Well, they had to step in that fiery furnace. But it was through their prayer. Oh, hear me. Your perception may not change the moment that you walk out of the church. You may walk out and be faced with the greatest temptation. But let me tell you this. God can bring you through. Because let me ask you this question. Some of you tell me. Be honest with me. When you were bound by drugs and alcohol, there came that time where all of a sudden you kept going back because things got too tough. But there came that moment when you realized that you didn't go back anymore because now you came to Him. And what you used to desire and crave, you no longer crave. God brought you out of it and set you free. So you know what? You're not a statistic. And you're not bound by what the world says you're bound by. You see, you've been blood-bought by Jesus Christ and whom the Son has set free. Oh, come on. I believe there's somebody here tonight that God has delivered you and set you free. That you're saying to the enemy, I'm not going back. I'm not bound. I'm not held down. But I'm going to reach the world with the gospel. I'm going to shout till I can't shout anymore. I'm going to pray till I can't pray anymore. Devil, you had me for 20 years. You had me for just a few years. But I'm not going back because God set me free. 
I'm closing tonight. I know this was an odd service. I'm closing. Two Bibles. Because there's always two choices. You can be a David. Or you can be a Chet. Had the same opportunities. Came from very similar backgrounds. You see, you decide. IBC, you hear me. We went to Alaska and took a bunch of students with us, those that stood up. Pastors kept coming up to me and saying, now all these are preacher's kids, right? I said, what? Are these all preacher's kids? Isn't it amazing? You come to Bible school and you wear a suit and a tie. You get all dressed up and people think that you had this lineage. But let me tell you, there's, there was people in that group, Brother Anderson, and they have some stories to tell because they didn't grow up in church. But somewhere they let their perception change because when they walked into this thing, they said, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Come on, there's some of you that are here tonight that you, you didn't grow up in church. And guess what? That's all right. Because your pedigree is not through the physical, it's through the spiritual. And maybe I answered incorrectly when I said that, no, they're not preacher's kids. Because I believe every one of them that have been born again are preacher's kids, Brother Brandon. Because guess what? You can trace your lineage back all the way to the day of Pentecost. When one of your great-grandfathers stood up and he began to preach the greatest message the world has ever heard. Oh, I believe you can trace your lineage back all the way back. And you can get it all the way back to the Apostle Paul because you're tracing a spiritual lineage. So when someone asks you, are you a preacher's kid? Just say, I come from a long line of preachers. Because I trace my lineage back through that word right there. And it tells me that I cry, have a father. And that's when I walk into church and I say, hey, brother and hey, sister. It's because I'm reminding myself that I'm a part of the family. That I'm connected to that family. That you and I, you and I, we now trace our lineage back to Calvary's cross. And it doesn't matter what people say that you are or where you're going or who you're connected to or what you used to be. What you stand assured of is when you step in into this this thing called this thing called the apostolic way that you've stepped into a new lineage and you've stepped into a perception change that when you walk into church you don't walk in with your head hung down low but you walk in saying I'm a child of the king oh I don't deserve his grace and mercy I don't deserve what he's given me but I'm walking down to this altar knowing that God has forgiven me and he's blessed me and he's picked me up and he's set me free so guess what you just joined the family. And so this altar, this altar is an altar call for people that are wanting a perception change. It's for the student. In the back of your mind, you're saying, I really shouldn't be here because I don't belong. It's for the guests that walked in and said, I... I don't look like everybody else. I don't, I don't know how to go through the motions of worship like they're going through. I, I don't have that lineage. Guess what? The people that are sitting next to you didn't have that lineage. Because we've been saved by grace. 
That's the beauty of church. None of us are perfect. All of us have a past. Your past looks different from mine. And mine looks a little different from you. But every one of us have come down to an altar. And we've begged God, forgive me of the sin that's in my life. Set me free from the, the chains that have been wrapped around me that I feel that I can't break free from. Oh, you know what? I don't know about you, but I didn't get delivered the first time I came to an altar and asked God to forgive me. It took me coming back to that altar and pouring myself out and saying, God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to break. You know what? It took a while before God could change the perception that I had of this boy right here. And God had to show me who I could become. Oh, hear me. Hear me. I'm not who I used to be. But His grace was sufficient. Oh, hear me, is there somebody that wants more of His grace and mercy? Come on, don't wait. You run down to this altar. Is there somebody here that says, I need God to change my perception? Come on, I know the devil's screaming and you're here saying you're not going to be different. You can't change. You can't be set free. But you've got to get it in your mind. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Come on, that's it. God's wanting to forgive you. But you've got to be willing to let go of everything. You've got to be willing to say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of everything I've done that's wrong. Forgive me of every mistake. Forgive me every time that I've asked you and told you I love you. And then I turned around and walked right back into a world of sin. God, forgive me. God, set me free from addiction. Set me free from the weight. Set me free from the heaviness. Set me free from things that pull me down time and time again. God, deliver me. Oh, come on. Come on, that's it. That's it. That's it. Some of you walked in and said, I want to be a preacher. But you've never uttered those words because you don't feel worthy. This is your moment for God to call you down to this altar and say, I give you my all. I surrender everything to you. Come on, there's two stories. This is your crossroad. Will there be a story preached on your life? Or will you take that story with you and preach it yourself to a generation that is dying and lost and on their way to hell?